Well, we are in week two of our series, Asking for a Friend, and so we're spending four weeks talking about, uh, just answering really your questions that you submitted to us back in August, and you know, so we, last week we, we jumped right into the deep end. I uh, covered some, some heavy-duty stuff, and one of the things I, I really appreciated, you know, I was on vacation this past week, and even as I was on vacation getting messages from people like, People who disagreed with some of the stuff I said, and I just, I really appreciated the way that each person who contacted me and, and how they communicated that and how we were able to talk about that. And so, you know, the last thing that we, we talked about last week was just this quote uh, from St. Augustine from 1500 years ago um, that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. I'm just so grateful to be a part of a church that we can talk about things that are essential and non-essential. We can have disagreements, and you know what? We can still be friends, right? But in a culture that doesn't allow that, it doesn't seem like to me, like, you disagree with me, then you're a hater. You know, like, right? That's what you hear. And that's not what you're going to hear here, here, here. All right, I better move on. Okay, so we're gonna, today we're going to tackle... Uh, Questions about the nature of God and just and how his word is found in the Bible. So we got four questions for today. Um, so we're just going to uh, walk through them. So the first question is, does God ever get sick of hearing from me? And I don't know, I, I've asked this question over the years in, in a variety of different ways. You know, so I, I've been praying for, for people. I've been praying for years for people in our church who have cancer. And I pray day after day, week, months, years for the same people in our church who have cancer. I've been, I've been praying for years for, for couples in our church who, whose marriage is, is not where they want it to be. It's not as healthy as they want it to be. And I continue to pray week, months, even years for them. Right? And, and like, I've been praying for, for a teenager in our church who has seen countless eye doctors they are seeking to restore his sight. Continue to pray month after month after month after month. You know, sometimes when, when you sit down to pray and you look at your, your prayer list, you sometimes just like sigh, like, oh my gosh. I have been praying for this person. I've been praying for this situation for so long. Does, does God ever like grow weary in, in hearing my, my requests for these people that I love and I care for? And the most important thing that I want you to hear in answering this question is that God never grows weary. And, and Jesus, he actually, he addresses this very question. He, he tells a parable in Luke chapter 18, if you got your Bibles. It's in the first eight verses. And, and he just, he tells this parable to his disciples because he, he doesn't want them to give up in praying and seeking the face of God. And so he says in this parable, there was a judge and this judge, he, he didn't, he wouldn't fear God. He, he wasn't afraid of people. Like he just did what he, what he wanted to do. But then there was this widow who, who just, she was seeking justice through this judge. And she kept coming back to him and back to him, seeking justice and again and again and again. And it says for a, a long time, Jesus says that the judge just ignored her, right? And, and just refused her requests. But eventually, this widow wore her down and, 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 and the judge granted her justice. And you know, this, this, I think it's telling this parable, Jesus is like, it's, it's causing us to ask the question, is, is God the judge? 
Like, I'm sure that eventually this judge is like, her again? Really? Oh, my gosh. Right? And I think that like, sometimes that's, that's the story we write in our heads. Like, you again, whitehead? Really? This again? Right? And, and that's what we kind of think of. That's the kind of what we put on the character of, of God. And, and Jesus is like, look, no, this parable is not saying that, in fact. God is not like the judge. God never grows weary when, when we cry out to him day and night. Actually, Jesus promises us that, that God will, will not keep putting us off like that judge did. In fact, Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he continues in verses 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, just think about the, the whole counsel of Scripture. Right? How many times do you think that Joseph prayed for deliverance during, during his slavery and imprisonment in, in Egypt? Yet, yet God waited 13 years before he set him free. I mean, how often did, did Abraham and Sarah go to God, beg God, like, God, you promised that you would give us a son. You said that Abraham would be a father of nations, and we've got nobody. It took 25 years before Isaac was born. I mean, God promised Adam and Eve that, that through their offspring that they would destroy the, the serpent thousands of years before God sent Jesus. To, to deliver the death blow when he, when he rose from the dead. Right? And, and we know in the book of Revelation that, that the battle, there's one more battle to come, right? The, the final battle. Right? And, and so we just see throughout Scripture that, that we are to continue, continue going to God. So I, I want to encourage every one of you, like persevere in your prayers. Don't give up. God is always at work. He's always at work, even when you can't feel him or sense him or it's not according to your time because he loves you and he cares for you and he cares about you. He's a good, good father who, who never, ever grows weary to listening to your prayers. Second question. So does God ever change his mind? And, and, I, and I love this question, you know, and, and so I, I just, as, I don't know about you, but as I read through the Bible, there, there are times when it seems that, that God might have changed his mind. But then there's other places in the Bible that says that God will never change his mind. So you read those things and it's like, it's, it's confusing at best and it's contradictory at worst. And so, like, what do we do with this? And, and once again, this is really about the nature of God. And so, so I want to give you a big theological word today, and you don't need to remember this word, but, but some people like it whenever I kind of throw these words out there, right? And so this is really a question about the immobility of God. Right? I worked for like five minutes making sure I could sp say that properly, you know, the immobility of God, right? And what this, this word really means is the attribute that God is unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his will. He's unchanging in his covenant promises. We see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament. 
So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, it says, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or what? Or, what is it? Change his mind. For he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Right? And the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so it's, it's impossible for God to change his mind. And, you know, kind of the, the mindset like, oh, no, I made a mistake. Or I, I, I need to do a do-over. Right? I, I just shouldn't have done that. Oh, man, I regret doing that. Like, no, like that's, that's, that's not the nature of God. And, and, and so how is it that, that we can explain verses that seem to say that God does change his mind? So, so let's look at a couple of places. Genesis chapter 6. So God looks out on, on the wickedness uh, of people. And so Genesis 6, 6. It says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Or, or how about when, when the Israelites were, were praying to the golden calf after God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Here's what it says in Exodus 32, verses 9 and 10. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. And then four verses later, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. What do we do with these kind of passages? So, so th- there are times when, when a figure of speech is used in the Bible to, to, in which the, the feelings or the, or the thought processes of, of a finite humanity are, are ascribed to an infinite God. Right? Finite humanity, infinite God. Right? And, and it's, just, it's a, a way for the author of, of a particular book of the Bible to, to help us to understand the nature of God from a human perspective. So in Genesis 6, 6, right, specifically, we, we understand and we, we get it. God's sorrow over humanity's sin. It breaks his heart. But obviously, God didn't re- reverse his decision to create humans. We're still here, right? And so there, there's, there's a distinction that needs to be made, right? And, and I'm going to use some very, very specific language here. Right, so the distinction is between con- the conditional declarations of God, the conditional declarations of God, and the unconditional determinations of God. Conditional, unconditional. So think about this way. Let me give you an example of both. So when God said to Jonah, I will destroy Nineveh in 40 days, he was speaking conditionally on, on the Assyrians what their, what their response is to Jonah and his call to repentance, right? And, and we know, if you read the book of Jonah, you, you know that the Assyrians, they repented, they turned towards God, and God did not destroy them, right? He didn't change his mind, right? His, his message to Nineveh was a, a, a message of, of warning to, to provoke repentance. And his warning was successful, it was a conditional declaration. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you don't do this, then I won't do that, right? Or do this. Now, an example of unconditional determination of God is what God said about King David. So, so King David, he says this, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 
And so when God said that about King David, there, there was nothing that King David could do or, or not do that, that would disqualify him or his family for all of eternity. And we see the fulfillment of that in the coming of Jesus. He's from the line of David. Now, let, let me make this even personal. So every one of us at one time, we were enemies of God because of our sin. God warned us, the, the wages of our sin is death. It is eternal separation from him, right? And so that is, is to cause us to repent of our sin. And so when, when we do that, when we repent of our sin, we put our faith in Jesus, we, we receive salvation, right? And God changed his mind about us. So, so now we're no longer enemies. Actually, he declares us not enemies. He declares us sons and daughters by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So think about this. Think about God's character. Right? It, it would be contrary to God's character not to punish us if we remained apart from him, if we chose not to put our faith in Jesus. Right? It would be, that would work against his character. Now, on the other side of it, when we put our faith in Jesus and he's just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm sending rich to hell anyways. Right? That would be, Rich is like, oh man. <laughs> that would be against his character too. Right? And so like, we understand his character. He's, he's, we, he has to, to punish us when we stay apart from him. Right? And he welcomes us with open, grace-filled arms when we put our faith in Jesus. It is, it's, it's, it's unchangeable. Because he doesn't change our mind like, oh, I like him, I like her. I don't, oh, I don't like her or him. Like, that's not how it works with God. His character never changes. Question number three. So why did God create the earth and people? Right? You look around and you're like, oh, I can't even believe it, right? Sometimes. So, so I, let, let me start with this because it, maybe it's a little bit simpler. So, so God didn't create us because he needed us. I'm so lonely, I need to make some people. Right? That's, that's not his intent, right? And actually, Paul, he, he, he says he doesn't, God doesn't need anything. Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And Paul goes on to say that, to them that, that God did this by sending his son Jesus so that they would seek him, they would reach out to him, and that they would ultimately find him. And so you see, God, God has, he's, always, he's always in relationship. He's always been in relationship. He's always been about relationships. God's never been alone. Like long before there were people, before there were animals, before there was the sun, the moon, the light or darkness, before time even existed, God existed in relationship. And he's never been alone. The Bible starts off this way. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hover, hovering over the waters. Then later in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
And so we begin to see this, the nature, the character of God is this kind of triune nature. We call it the, the, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. And, and it can be difficult to kind of get our, our minds wrapped around the fact that we have one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are in perfect relationship with one another. Like that's, this is the nature of God. And so if God didn't create us because he needed us, then why did God create us in the first place? Well, God is very, very specific about this. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. It says we were created for three reasons. Number one, we were created to reflect his image. Every one of us are made in the image of God. Second, we were created to rule over creation. And third, to be fruitful and multiply. And so to me, this gets to our purpose in life. So as I, as I ponder my purpose and your purpose and, and our purpose as described in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and, and really if you want to look more into it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, here, here's, here's what, I think I, what, what I think he's trying to say to us. That, that God has made us individually as male and female in our marriages and, and corporately as his church to reflect his image as, as being godly people. He made us to, to rule over creation as responsible stewards of the earth as we exercise the authority of Jesus through prayer. Like he, he has made us to reproduce godly offspring in our families and in our church family as we see people who are living far from God come to faith and get reborn, get born again through faith in Jesus. And so like, I believe God created every one of us to know him and to grow to be like his son, Jesus, in whose image we were all created in. But here's the thing. And this is what I see in the culture all around us. Like I, 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 I believe that the people who, who don't get this, who don't understand this, that, that they're going to be restless. They're, they're going to be confused. They're going to be lacking in fulfillment. A until they, they come in alignment with, with God's purpose for creating them. To reflect his image, to rule over this world as good stewards, and to, to be fruitful, multiply. And ultimately, when we do that, we bring glory to God. Now, last question How do we know the Bible is true? And so in this message and in every message, we, we reference the Bible, right? Our messages, everything that we do here is, is through a biblical worldview. We are going to make every decision possible through this book, right? It is, it is our anchor, right? And so this is, everything we do is not based on my opinion or your opinion or anybody's opinion, really. And, and if you're, you're new to Charter Oak Church, we, we have something we call our essential beliefs, and what we believe about the Bible is one of our essential beliefs. It's something that we're not going to, to, to change or trade in or tweak or anything like that. And, and here's what it says. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without error. So why do we believe that as a church? Well, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is what is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, if you are a skeptic to our faith, right, this probably, these two passages probably are, is not sufficient evidence for you. Like you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible, right? So, so let me broaden the, the, the evidence for you. So the Bible is not one book written by one author. It is 66 books written by 40 different authors from three different continents using three different languages over 1,500 years. And think about this. Think, think, think about who those authors are. Shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest all pen portions of Scripture. They, they had different immediate purposes for writing, whether recording history or giving spiritual and moral instructions or, or pronouncing judgment. And so, so they, they, they sat down and they wrote these things from, from palaces and prisons and the wilderness and, and places of exile while, while they were writing about history and laws and poetry and prophecy and proverbs. And in the process... Because they were human. They, they laid bare their, their own personal emotions, expressing anger sometimes, frustration sometimes, joy and, and love. And despite the fact that this came from 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period in three different languages, and they were written from all different stages and, and stations of life, that this, this marvelous this kind of array of topics and goal that is so vast and different... The Bible displays a flawless internal consistency. It, it never contradicts itself or its, or its common theme. And to me, the, the most extraordinary claim, at being its most central, that, that God came, God himself came down to earth in the form of a man, his son Jesus, fully God and fully man, in order to die for our sins, to pay the penalty, that three days later that God could raise him from the dead to atone for our sins and our disobedience. I, I, I love the, the way that the, the Jesus Storybook Bible begins. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this Bible. This is a great, great Bible. And it's just, it's such a, it, it's not, you know, it's, you know, it's written for kids. It has pictures, right? Just, just let, me, let me read to you this, just kind of the introduction. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you, you should and shouldn't do. The Bible, certain, Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. The Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero, Jesus, 
who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince, Jesus, who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby, Jesus. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. I just love how it says that the Bible is the true story of how God loves his children. And that throughout the Bible, every story is whispering the name of Jesus. Now, if, if, you, if you struggle you know, with, with the idea of the inerrancy of the Bible, that, that we believe that, that it's God's word without error, then, then I would invite you to read the Bible for yourself. And don't simply take my word for it. Read it for yourself. It, it, it's okay to read the Bible with a skeptical eye. It, it, the Bible is held up to, to scrutiny for thousands of years. And whenever you get to those places where you have questions, where it's confusing, or, or maybe even seems to contradict someplace else, like we talked about earlier, engage more deeply. Take your time. Pray. Go slow. Listen for the leading of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God speaks to us through his word. He reveals himself through his word. He, he invites us into relationship with his word, through his word, and through his son, Jesus. And I would invite you to read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we love you and we praise you. You are a good, good father. And I know, God, that there are some in our church that have been persevering for years and maybe even decades in, in prayer, and they wonder, are you, are you tired of hearing from us? Are you tired from hearing from me? God, I pray every one of us walk out of here today knowing that, that you never grow weary of hearing from us. We, we may not understand your, your timing and everything that you do, and when you do it, God, would you give us more faith? Would you give us perseverance to stay in the fight and to continue to pray? God, I pray that we would be people of your book, that we would read it and it would take root in our hearts and that, that we would seek to, to be obedient to it and that we would share it with others. God, there's, there's so many in this world that seem to have have no purpose and, and no direction because I, I don't think they, they realize the, the very reason that they were created. God, would you reveal yourself through us to them? 
Would you give us a a Holy Spirit-infused boldness, God, to, to live faithfully and obediently for your glory? And God, when we come to those confusing times and those difficult times, would you remind us of your unchanging character? That you're the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. That your love for us is perfect. And so God, we we come before you and we ask that you would do what only you can do in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would give us life. That you would give us eternal life for your glory. Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.